Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that even the incoming coach of the Indian men's national team enjoys. No, really. I'm your host, Benny, and this week, me and fellow co-host Mayank were joined by former India and current Rajasthan Royals physiotherapist, John Gloucester. Now, John has served stints as physio over the last three decades, spanning work in English county cricket, in the international circuit, and more recently with T20 franchises. So he was the perfect person to speak with about the evolution of fitness and nutrition coaching in cricket over the years, as well as the importance of recovery and speed for the modern cricketer in the T20 era. There's a lot we covered, and so we'll get right to it, all after this brief message. You know, one of the things we love on the last wicket is to talk cricket, and then some more. Now, I want to tell you about another podcast that is very similar, but they go a step further and integrate sports with pop culture. We Got Balls is a sports and pop culture podcast hosted by three friends whose goal it is to have fun first and talk sports second. The hosts Steve Trudeau, Michael Maida, and Emmanuel Pacheco cover the major sports stories the week, pop culture news, or sometimes just get lost down a rabbit hole of random conversation. So if you like your sports content with a dash of humor, you have to give them a try. Check out the We Got Balls podcast, out every Tuesday on all major podcast platforms. We are very thrilled to have with us today, John Gloucester, a name that many cricket fans might recognize, um, you know, all the way back from 2005 with the Indian team and then over the last 13 years uh, in the IPL with the Rajasthan Royals and of course with other uh, franchises as well, including the PSL. So John, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome to The Last Wicket. Absolute pleasure. Good evening to you guys. Good morning to myself over here. But yeah, my cricket journey was actually 
started a lot earlier than 2004, five when I came to India. I had those four years in Bangladesh. You probably know as well. So right. my, yes. my uh, subcontinent, Sojourn, has been uh, into its 20th year, uh, 21st year, actually. So uh, and then prior wow. to that, I had four wonderful years in, in English county cricket with the, with the great Surrey team in the, in the glory days in the late 90s. So, uh, yeah, my international cricket journey has really been uh, since 1997-98 series and then right through till today. It's, uh, it's been amazing. But you are, you're pretty much settled in <clears throat> India right now. Are you an Indian citizen? I have an OCI. I'm married to an Indian. My wife is okay. uh, uh, Gujarati. Yeah, so uh, I've been here 17 years now in, in Bombay. So living wow. in Bombay, my son was born here 10 years ago. He's a breech candy hospital boy from Bombay. So wow. uh, yeah, so very much. We travel a lot, <laughs> obviously outside COVID time. We do get home to Australia right. quite often, every three or four times a year. But uh, but yeah, India has been very much home for me and my cricket sort of, uh, or my love of cricket, um, as you all know, uh, has been born out of the relationship with India uh, and the subcontinent. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's one thing to like cricket when you're outside of India, but you certainly learn to love the game and appreciate the subtleties of the game once you're embedded into the lifestyle of India, that's for sure. And that is incredible. And, and you kind of hit it on the head because you know that's what we try to do on, on this show is try to understand the subtleties and everything that goes be, behind the scenes. And that really is a great way to start this off because... You know, you, you've been involved, uh, you, you did mention about being involved in the Bangladesh team mm-hmm. and the Indian team, and then over the last 13 years with the Royals. So you have been able to witness firsthand the evolution of, you know, fitness, uh, training and skills, just how things have changed. I remember when the IPL began all those years ago. Um, it, it was almost this attitude of, you know, it's all just fun and games, you know, we'll just, you know, it's uh, just like a, a vacation almost for the players. You have some good fun and then you get back to the real cricket, uh, you know, the international arena. And, and that kind of reflected in the physiques and uh, <laughs> fitness of the players themselves. So, you know, one of the reasons we w- uh, wanted to have you on the show is, you know, we came, you know, came across this article in the Cricket Monthly uh, where we talk about, you know, the physiques of players uh, today versus that in 2008, mm-hmm. how it is like chalk and cheese. Uh, so as someone who has seen this from close quarters, what is the biggest change, you know, or how did this come about? Was it, you know, was, was this vested in research or is this just a look at other, uh, how other sports have been doing this? I think it, it probably all came about because of where I'm from. Um, and like I said, when I first came here, I had a genuine interest in, um, in changing Indian cricket. And you're not going to change the Indian cricketers from a skill perspective because they're, they're the most skillful cricketers in the world, I believe, from a technical perspective. So if you want to improve the game and the quality of the game and the consistency of performance in the game in, in somewhere like India or the subcontinent, and you need to focus on, on what was lacking at that time. And what was lacking at that time was fitness and durability, uh, resilience, all the things we talk about uh, in the modern game. I always thought that if you could pitch, put those two pieces together, the technical skills that they have and that exist in this part of the world, piece that with, with, a, with a greater fitness sort of um, 
or a greater, fitter, stronger side, then you will become consistent, more consistent and, and, and better performing overall formats of the game. So my original sort of role here was to try and change that mindset. And it's a generational thing. It's not, it's not going to change right. overnight. It really, and we're starting to see the sort of the effects of that. So, you know, I was very fortunate to have a predecessor uh, in my role called Andrew Lepus, who was again from Australia, mm -hmm. actually from the same universities that I went to, who had a very similar mindset. And he sort of started that journey of improving fitness. Um, and then I sort of followed that, followed on and, and, and it makes me, I always talk about the Indian hockey story and, and, you know, how successful Indian hockey was from, you know, for 50 years, they dominated all forms, you know, they dominated Olympics, World Cups, you know, the, the Commonwealth Games, everything. And then something happened and they fell off the radar for the next 30 years. And what happened and what happened was Indian hockey went from being played on grass which is a very highly skilled, much slower game to then being played on uh, artificial turf, astroturf, where fitness comes to the fore. Speed and fitness then comes to the fore. And as soon as the reliance came on fitness rather than skill and technical, then uh, the Indian and the subcontinent players failed to perform on the international stage. The less skilled sides, but the fitter sides, like Australia, New Zealand, England, South Africa, all then came to the fore. I didn't want to see the same thing happen to Indian cricket because right. it was potentially going that way. And if you look at where Indian cricket was in the early 2000s, they were very good sides. They were phenomenal players, the best players in the world on paper, but consistently were never really there. They'd win a series, we'd lose a series, we'd win a few games, we'd look really good, and then we would, you know, so I... I always said that that consistency came from being, uh, or inconsistency came from being perhaps not as fit or or as durable as the uh, as the other nations. So that was the journey we set out on, and um, and I think today we're now starting to see that fitness is an absolute non-negotiable, and there are certain people within sides that have sort of demanded that. Virat Kohli certainly now in the modern era has demanded that fitness be at the forefront of all conversations. Um, and, and prior to that, certain individuals in certain teams have said, well, you know, if we're going to really perform and compete, we, we need to bring it to the, to the table. And, and fitness is not just about getting into the gym and getting stronger. Fitness is a whole, is a, you know, there's a whole ecosystem around fitness. Right. And, and I think IPL has played a huge role in us understanding just how important that is, particularly in the shorter formats of the game, where speed has now come as the primary piece uh, in, in performance. The speed of the game has increased remarkably. We see that in our GPS readings, we see it in, in, in numerous other data collections that we have. But along with speed comes injury, because if you're not prepared for speed um, and you haven't trained for speed, then injury rates do go up, particularly muscle lower limb muscle injury. So if you're coming from one format of the game that doesn't demand speed as much, let's say test cricket, and then transition straight into a T20 format like the IPL, where speed is completely at the fore, then uh, you will get injured um, as a player. So we need to make sure that we're looking at how we transition these players and how we prepare them for, for this part of the game. And with speed also, if you notice that the faster the game goes, the faster the athlete obviously goes 
Um, so therefore, the types of injuries we're now seeing are very, very different. They tend to be high volume injuries. Um, they're injuries that, that you know, we're committing ourselves to balls uh, in the field that previously we probably wouldn't have because the, because the stakes are so high now in the shorter format, you know, franchise-based games. Um, so the, the injuries that we're seeing are a lot more ballistic type injuries, high velocity uh, injuries, contusions, dislocations, uh, concussions, things like that. Um, so our role within the sort of sports medicine side of the game has completely changed as well, not just in preparing these athletes for the, the format, but also the types of injuries we're now seeing as well. So, so preparation, um, I've always said preparation is the key. Um, so being ad adequately prepared now to play this format of the game um, is very, very different to what we had to prepare for just so, single format back in the past. So John, uh, all that you're saying is very good. Um, I'm very curious about how much does culture come into it, right? Because when I was growing up, it was very common for you know, Asian teams to value skill uh, or cricketing skills more than fitness. Um, you know, as fans, I would I, I would envy like the Australian teams, the South African teams. They were so fit. They were fast. They would fly around the field, yep. and you know, whether batting or bowling, you know, they always seem to be just more athletic um, yep. compared to the subcontinent counterparts. Um, so, in your work with the Indian team and with over over the last two decades close to in, in IPL, how has that been breaking down any kind of cultural barrier uh, with the Indian players when it came to, you know, just what you've been talking about? Oh, yes, completely, especially early on in my, in, in my stay in India was, uh, it, it was almost an excuse that, oh, well, we've never been fit. Uh, we're not a fit culture. Um, fitness has never been part of us. We don't have the genes. I've heard it all, you know, about why we couldn't be fitter. But I think we've proven now with the modern Indian cricketer that we can change them. Um, right. But we need to get to them a lot earlier than what we were able to back then. Once they were established in the international teams, it's very, very difficult to then make big physical changes to athletes. So we've understood that. And so the NCA's come on board, the associations that come on board, but we're now tracking our players from a lot younger ages and making those transitions, uh, those fitness transitions at a much younger age where you can have greater effect. Um, but they've only got to turn their TVs on now to see why. And if they want to compete on the big stage, if they want to play in the IPLs and these formats, then it's a non-negotiable. You have to be fit. Right. You have to be fast. When I turn my TV on, we always say, what sort of cricket do you want to see? As a, a, sitting on your couch at home, what do you want to see on the TV? You want to see exactly what you just described. You want to see energy, you want to see speed, you want to see enthusiasm, you want to see power, you want to see strength, you want to see athleticism. Um, but that doesn't happen overnight. Right. And that happens over many years. So tapping into these young kids, uh, identifying these younger kids at an earlier age and working and building on them. And, and like I said before, it's not just one thing. It's not just about getting them into the gym. It's about looking at all the other cultural things that we have in the subcontinent. One of them being nutrition, probably the biggest mm -hmm. one. The most important one is nutrition and tackling the myths of nutrition in the subcontinent. I've spent 20 years tackling those myths of nutrition. 
Um, but if you want to build the complete package, you want to build that complete cricketer these days for the modern game, you have to embrace every other part of, uh, of their development. And nutrition uh, is, is critical to that. So nutrition, recovery, yes, the gym and the physical side plays an important role. Um, um, you know, so, so we need to sort of break down all these individual pieces. Um, and apply it to the individual. It can't be just blanketly applied to a squad or a group. But, and that's why we individually assess all these players at a young age. We individually assess all their blood. We individually assess all their, 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 their tracking markers in terms of uh, physical tracking markers in their screenings. We look at their GPS markers. We look at, you know, there's so many other things that we look at and study in these guys these days. And, and that's why we have technology. That's why we have wearable technologies. That's why we use data now, because unless I completely understand that individual physiologically, so inside and outside, then it's very difficult for us to complete that journey for them of transitioning them into a complete cricketer or a complete athlete. I actually use the word athlete now for cricketers because they are genuinely good athletes. Mm -hmm. The majority of them are genuinely good athletes. I mean, they've earned the it now, yes. Well, the data tells us that. If you look at some of the GPS data that we've been collecting over the last four years on our IPL cricketers and that format of the game being the T20 format, the data tells us that. So the data sets that we're getting back from a match of T20 cricket in terms of total distances covered and particularly the time spent in certain speed bands, so the upper speed bands, time and duration spent in, in, in certain speed bands, so that's 20 to 25 kilometers an hour, 25 to 30 and 30 plus kilometers an hour. It's very, very similar to two other formats of the game, which you'd be familiar with, one being EPL, so English football, and the other is Australian rules football. So the exertions and effort of, because they're similar time durations, you know, um, hour and a half for a, you know, uh, 20 overs in the field, et cetera. So now we're breaking it down and looking at how can we learn and train and be fitter using um, already tried and tested methods from other sports. So we now look to the EPL and, and football and European football as to how they train uh, and adapting some of those training methods uh, into, into cricket because it is relevant for this form of the game, for the T20 format of the game. Training like a footballer physiologically and aerobically is actually very, very relevant to, to modern cricket. So they're, they're some of the really interesting things that data has allowed us to do and allowed us to open our eyes as to using other sports to learn about our sport. Right. And, uh, and I think that's really exciting. Now, speaking of nutrition, um, you know, I, I, I found it fascinating, you know, that some Indian players like, you know, Varun Aaron, Shreyas Gopal, Sanjay Sampson, you mentioned that they would share photos of food or questions um, of what they were eating in the off season. And that's very encouraging to see, you know, players take the initiatives. Um, yeah. And for particularly that. in the, in the, in the lockdown, right. a lot of this right. stuff started in the lockdown actually, because if, if you can imagine India was very different from a lot of parts of the world where everybody lives in apartments or the majority of people live in apartments. So for six months, everybody was confined to their apartments with no other right. physical expression. And these guys are athletes. Again, uh -huh. they're so used to expressing themselves physically or being creative in the physical domain. Suddenly you've confined them to a house or an right. apartment. So we, so we asked them to look at being creative in other areas, 
find other things that you can be creative at as well. And a lot of them discovered food, particularly Varun. I mean, he was good and, anyway, but you know, and, that, and, that's one of the main reasons. Right. And speaking of culturally, you know, how this changes, as someone who's been living in India, you know, it's very hard, you know, when family members, yeah, uh, you know, will come and say, kitchen. yeah, I'd be like, eat this, eat that. No, why are you eating less? Yeah. You know, so it is a challenge. And, um, and that's another thing, diet, diet is so different yeah. in every country. Uh, a typical yeah. diet in India is going to be so different for a player from Australia. So, yeah, but, how... is that wrong? But, it, but it's not, but it's not necessarily wrong. Because okay. you remember that there's regional, you know, and, and within India, you look at the different diets and, and nutritional inputs right. from, mm-hmm. you know, from Kerala versus uh, to, to North India, to Bengal, to the, you know, ta- to the Tamils, to the Gujarati Jains living, you know, which we have in our teams. You know, we have some hardcore, you know, uh, pure vegetarians in our team. So mm-hmm. within India, as you said, there's these incredible differences. So we need to make sure that not only do we satisfy them from a cultural perspective, religious perspective, uh, right. nutritionally, but also to satisfy the demands of, of, of the sport that they're playing in. And that's part of my job is to ensure that I can, I can marry those two together. Sometimes right. it's difficult in, with some parts of India, it can be more difficult. Um, but in other parts, they're more open to, to change. And, and, but you need to respect the fact that food is life almost in India. It, it's family, it's uh, culture, it's history, it's, um, right. It's conversation. It's and 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 uh, I'm assuming you're of Indian uh, descent yourself, so you will appreciate what I'm talking about. And you cannot get somebody offside when it comes to food in India. It's a very difficult line. Very to familiar with that. <laughs> yeah, but over time you can make changes that suit both them as well as what you need to get out of those athletes. But you can only do that through conversation. You can only do that through data and demonstrating mm-hmm. them through various technologies that we have as to why we do what we do and why we're changing the way they eat. We do it through blood markers. So, you know, you'd be really interested to know that when we, we tested, and this is not just our cricketers, so our cricketing cohort, but also I work with the Go Sports Foundation with a lot of your Indian Olympians and Paralympians. Um, we tested, uh, you know, a, a large cohort of athletes we found that 20, between 20 and 25% of them, unbeknownst to them, were pre-diabetic, which means they had an HbA1c or glycohemoglobin of greater than 5.7%. So that is a really interesting statistic because if 20 to 25% of your elite athlete cohort is pre-diabetic, then what, how does that reflect on the rest of society who aren't athletic, who have no physical expression, right. who aren't looking at their diets, who aren't being monitored by people? So these blood markers are really critical and they start the conversation. If suddenly an athlete is pre-diabetic, um, then that means that we can change him straight away. We can you know, reverse that immediately. But what it also meant that we could then have a conversation with their family about why they need to eat the way they're going to eat and why their family needs to perhaps change their habits as well at home. So it becomes- That sounds a, more challenging than influencing the players. <laughs> but it's actually been really, really interesting because I believe that we have a role and part of my role here in India is to use all this knowledge that I have and we've gained from the elite sports space 
and bring it back to serve the general community in, in a better way. And if nutrition, we know that diabetes and obesity are the biggest issues we have here in India. So let's educate through our players to their families. And it's really interesting, the feedback from a number of those players was that their entire families have now changed the, completely the way they, they eat and have since reversed their pre-diabetes statuses as well. So I've always said that we need to look at this a bit like, and I talk about this all the time, is, is, is the Formula One world. You know, all the technologies that are tried and tested in Formula One, you know, traction control, disc brakes, turbocharging, all the things that have come eventually end up in your day-to-day -day road car, correct? Right. Well, the same thing for us. All the high-end technologies and, and information and data and everything that we have, knowledge, should not just be confined to that group of elite athletes. That information needs to, at some level, disseminate back into the general population to serve everybody. And I believe that's our role. And that's the beauty of IPL. That's the beauty of cricket in this country is that it's an incredible medium for us to do exactly that, is to yeah. get that knowledge out into the and, and make large-scale change for the better of everybody in this country. Fascinating insights, John. Um, I guess I'm, I'm curious because I know you've worked with Rajasthan Royals. You've also worked in the PSL. In, in both those instances, you're working with athletes for a really short duration. Um, it, it sounded like you were saying that you keep a track on them, you know, throughout the year so that it's not just, you know, a two month engagement, yeah. but how do you, how does that work out for some of the international players? Let's say somebody like Josh Butler, who's probably also working with, you know, English physios or in the English team. How does that uh, work out? Yeah. So first of all, you remember that 75% of our playing cohort for the IPL are, are Indian based players. So I get to monitor them and I have relationships with them uh, throughout the entire year. So that's, that's the bonus of me being in India. In fact, I think I'm the only physio in India, in all the IPL teams who's actually based in India full-time all year round. So, so that, that, that sort of covers them and we can monitor them throughout the year, uh, both face-to-face, -face, virtually, uh, through camps, et cetera. For the internationals, so we have eight internationals within our squad, as you said. Um, then monitoring them is, is different. It, it, still, it still happens. Fortunately, over my last, like I said, 24 years in international cricket, I've built up a lot of relationships with all the other cricket boards around the world and their respective support staff. Um, so I'm very fortunate to have the really good relationships with the England physio team and the medical team, with the South African medical team, New Zealand team, everybody from the other, uh, other international boards. So we have this open chain of communication. So uh, throughout the year, we touch base. I touch base individually with the players, uh, but also um, through their respective uh, medical boards as well. So it is very important that we keep those communication channels open. Um, and I say to them, it's, it's in the best interest of the player at the end of the day. And a fit and healthy player who comes to me means that um, we've had a really good relationship with the board, uh, with that players board before the tournament so they come to me and I know exactly where they're at the same thing is, is is that if those communication channels are open then I'm able to to send that player home uh as fit if not fitter than what he arrived at this tournament as well so that's my main aim my my main aim is to ensure that every player leaves this tournament fitter uh and in a better physical place and better educated uh, around various things nutrition physical whatever than what they entered this space. So, 
so um, having those communication channels open throughout the year is really, really important because it allows us to, to ensure that, that I know those players inside out. And so I have a better opportunity to serve them better when they are here if I have all that information available to me. And also all the information that I get from them, collated from them during this tournament, the IPL, that goes straight back to their cricket boards as well. So I think this two-way is really, really important to monitor and maintain uh, a year-round sort of uh, visibility on, on the player. It's critical for them uh, physically as well as mentally as well. Right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we as fans often just see two, two and a half months of uh, games. And then obviously, clearly a lot more goes around yeah. in, the, in the scenes to make sure they, they you know, perform well for those two, two uh, months. And, and look, from an asset perspective, I know I don't like talking about them as assets, but, you know, <laughs> the IPL is a big business. We can't escape that. You know, we've just seen franchises sold for over a billion dollars. So... Yeah. The players represent that franchise. So they're representing a billion dollar business. So those players are enormously valuable assets to that franchise. And we see it reflected in, in the prices that we pay for them at the auction table, you know, right. um, you know, 16, 17 crores for an individual for six weeks work. Well, we need a return on those assets. Like any businessman, my, the board will come to me and say, this asset needs to be performing for me. I've invested this. For the next six weeks, he needs to perform for the next 16 games, 14 plus and, two, mm-hmm. two finals. You know, that's that's my job is that and, and is to, to make sure that we get a return on that asset. And I can only do that if I have information, both before the IPL as well as continuing to get that information from them during the IPL. Yeah, and that makes me curious as to what your inputs from a fitness perspective are, even in the auction. Uh, is there are there any or is that mostly just based on you know the scouting leads working on their skill types and and how they fit into the team or do you also get a say to say saying yeah this is a great player but maybe not the fittest I don't think he can last an IPL season yeah there's a lot of conversations around a number of things you know obviously the technical and all the statistical analytical side that we do behind the scenes on on the individual performance um, then you look at the individual themselves as a character um, and how they would fit into the franchise uh, itself. Uh, that's, a, that's a big part of it because we, we, we look at environments very closely, team environments and how to build those environments. And that takes certain individuals to have certain characteristics. And then there's the physical. And again, because I have these relationships all over the world with various boards and various uh, associations, I can, if we have an, an idea, rough idea of who we, we, we would be targeting in the, uh, in the auction, we'll do homework on those players from a physical perspective as well. So we'll start conversations with their cricket boards. I'll start many, many, many of these players I know personally because of, again, you know, and it's not just the PSL, it's not just the IPL, it's the T10. I work very closely with the T10 guys in Abu Dhabi as well. Um, and domestically, uh, so and with the Indian team. So you have these relationships with the individual as well. So it's just a matter of me picking up the phone sometimes and saying, look, where are you at? What, you know, physically, what have you been doing? What are your markers like? Um, or I talk to their trainers or I talk to their physios. Um, so, yes, yeah. so there is a lot of homework that goes behind the scenes around selecting these athletes. 
um, before an auction. And, and there are a number of criteria that need to be fulfilled uh, prior to that. That's, that's really fascinating. I, I had never thought of that, but that makes total sense. Um, yeah. I think the other piece, um, and you already mentioned it, was the need for speed, really, when it comes to T20s, uh, you know, whether it's explosive speed with power. Um, how do you manage players of varying experience? Because obviously somebody like uh, Sanju Samson probably doesn't need as much, um, you know, hand-holding, for the lack of a better word, as compared to Yashasvi Jaswal, you know, somebody like that, who's probably younger and uh, still coming through the ranks. Um, so how does that go about? Yeah. Um, so this, this, again, it comes back to this whole relationship-driven thing. You know, if you have a relationship with that individual and they trust you, then they will accept input. And, and the modern cricketer accepts that, that they have flaws. The modern cricketer knows that, that they all have things that they can improve on. Uh, it's how you deliver that message on, how to, on what to improve and how to improve it. That, that, that is probably the critical piece. Um, but every player that enters this tournament now knows that there are certain things that are expected of them. And, and given that speed is one of them and durability is the other one or resilience and durability is the other one and they go hand in hand, then those sorts of conversations start many, many months prior to the tournament because, again, 75% of the cohort that we work with are already in India. So we can start those processes with our SNC trainer, with the assistant physio, myself. We can start that, that, that process of developing those, those foundations, the building blocks, um, many, many months out from the IPL. This year is slightly different because obviously we're going into an auction year next year. And so there'll be a very, very different looking squad for everybody um, outside of the retentions. And, you know, so the retention conversation um, is going on now and that goes for the next 30 days, I believe. Um, and then once the auction happens, then we have a bit of a narrow window to, uh, to work with because that'll probably be January. So you've really only got February and March to then piece it all together, um, work out who's where physically and what they need to work on and how much time we can realistically uh, have to develop the certain things that we want to see in those athletes. So, so the selection of the, some of those, those cricketers will be based on whether they already have those fundamentals and those foundations in place. Um, so if there's a toss-up between two individuals who technically are probably pretty similar and analytically and numbers-wise they're pretty similar, then often the thing that tips the balance in their favour may be what their physical history is or what their foundations are like in terms of speed and durability. Um, so that does come into the equation. Um, but, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks, you know, and, and there are a lot of players that once they get involved in this tournament, they realise that they either have to keep up or they'll get left behind on the selection table, either within the tournament or in the bigger picture. And so, yes, they are very willing to embrace um, new techniques, new changes, uh, except they've got certain flaws and work on those because they know that, that it's, it's not only a fast-paced moving game on the field, but it's a pretty fast-paced moving game off the field as well um, in terms of selection and, and, and transfers and things. So, so you, are, you will get left behind pretty quickly and you will get found out very quickly in this format of the game as well on the field if you don't have those foundations in place. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really interesting space to be in and it's a, it's a, 
it's a challenging space for everybody that works with these athletes. Um, and again, that's why we've now gone back to data and, and, and then you have some really, you know, raw information for the players to then work against and work uh, alongside so that they can understand what's required of them and then how to change it. I think that's been the big breakthrough for us over the last three or four years is establishing that communication through data. And, and I'm also curious, tracking, obviously a lot of these players, especially the younger Indian players, they probably play a lot of, you know, domestic T20s, whether it's in their cities, um, uh, club cricket in some, some cities. Uh, are, do you have, you know, uh, monitoring devices throughout the year that they're supposed to wear? Uh, I'm just curious how that, how that works, or is it more of just relying on their own judgment and uh, relaying back that information to you? Yeah. So the, any of the players that are involved with the Indian setup are monitored all year round. Um, but the guys are in the domestic setup. Um, logistically, it's very difficult to monitor them um, consistently throughout the year, particularly with the GPS. Um, and so, yes, we do rely on their trainers and their physios and themselves for feedback on their loads. Um, so we check in on them about what they're doing, what tournaments they're playing, how many balls they're bowling in, in each tournament, etc. So we're monitoring that side. Um, and then I will physically monitor them uh, on and off during that period as well. Either they'll fly in or I'll fly in or we'll arrange a, a quick camp, you know, to get as many as we can together for a few days just to, to touch base with them all and see where they're all at physically. So, yeah, the so remote monitoring, I think we're, that's the area that we're going to start to improve on now going forward. Um, we can we are remote monitoring them through their on their sleep and recovery, which we can do now through the uh, the use of the aura rings, which I believe your NBA NBA guys are using as well. Um, so we can now remotely monitor them uh, centrally, which has been really good um, from a recovery perspective. And uh, the other one is is like I said, we can we can monitor them through their blood markers as well, which we do occasionally also. So. So there are certain ways of now tapping into the individual um, uh, to sort of get a greater understanding around risk and where risk lies. Um, that's the most important thing is, is sort of trying to mitigate risk, but you need to know where that risk lies first for certain individuals and uh, putting in place strategies that, that help uh, sort of overcome that the best we can. Right, that, that makes sense. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned sleep and recovery because I think those are aspects as well, which we need to understand a little bit better as fans. Um, recovery in particular, it's more than just having rest days or you know, not bowling more than X number of balls a, uh, you know, a day yeah. for certain placers. Uh, I know now there's devices such as the recovery systems really, which uh, we've seen players you know, in right after the game. Um, so I guess help us understand that, that a little bit better. Um, what all do you consider part of recovery um, for you know holistic um, recovery and, and making sure they're ready for the next game? Yeah, you like you said, you would have seen the players now going through their routines post match with with their recovery pumps on their legs, with the game ready machines, the ice circulating machines, the cryotherapy chambers. You know the. Uh, uh, with the stand-in for the uh, cryotherapy. Um, we have masseurs, two masseurs who work full-time as well uh, with the, uh, after the matches. Then we do pool recovery sessions, 
straight away, uh, preferably seawater if we can get into seawater because for medicinal science purposes. Um, and then uh, then my big one, which is which is nutrition, which is you know really critical. You know, anti-inflammatory foods, real foods, low sugar, um, slow real carbohydrates. Um, you know, good quality clean proteins. So re-educating them around what foods to eat when. Uh, has has been a real eye opener for a lot of the players. So, so nutrition and anti-inflammatory foods make a big, big difference. Um, and then sleep. You know, I think sleep is the new frontier. And uh, and I often tell the story that you know that Shane Warne, when I first started working with Shane Warne in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, he said to me, John, mark my words, sleep is the best medicine. And I just thought it was because he wanted to sleep in, you know, and, and didn't like going to training. But uh, I tell you what, he's, he was smack on. If you don't get the sleep part right, then nothing else matters. And so that's why we've really drilled down on sleep as a critical component of our recovery. Um, and sleep is determined by nutrition or quality of sleep is determined by nutrition, when you train, how you train, how you recover, et cetera. So if we make sleep the core, and then we sort of look at all the pieces around it that influence good sleep or bad sleep, then we can start making uh, that critical piece of recovery um, uh, more relevant and more relevant to the players. And that's, again, that's why this, you know, the adapting the wearable technologies that we have that monitor and track sleep um, has been critical. But if you break that down even more, probably what's been even more critical for us in the conversations around recovery has been heart rate variability and monitoring heart rate variability at night. And that has been the really big thing that's allowed us to then have the conversation with, with the player as to why are you not recovering? Is it because of what you eat before you go to bed? Is it because how much you train just before you went to bed? Is it because you have alcohol before you went to bed? Um, all these certain things change heart rate variability, which therefore changes overall recovery and also influences the way you sleep and the type of sleep you get when you sleep, how much you move at night. Um, all these things we can now track. It's incredible what we can track on these slides at night. We, we track temperature fluctuations. We track uh, breathing rates. We track heart rates at night. We track heart rate variability. We track movement. So we can see how many times at night they even move in bed. Um, and we, so, so therefore restfulness. We can track latency, how long it takes for you once you go to bed to you actually fall asleep. So all these things give us really, really little clues as to what conversation I then need to have with that player about how to improve on that. You know, so latency, for example, if they're not getting to sleep for long periods of time, why is that? Is it because they're watching screens? Is it because they've had a sugary drink before they went to bed? Is it because their mind is racing? And we know that if these, if, if heart rate variability factors are poor, if sleep is poor, then all these other things come into the equation. Cortisol goes up, okay? Cortisol, your stress hormone. When cortisol, cortisol goes up, we know injury rates go up, particularly muscle injuries on the back of elevated cortisol. We know that uh, weight gain, because it affects the uh, glucose metabolism, it affects, uh, it, it affects ghrelin, it affects all these other hormones in the body. So we've got to look at these other, and it affects inflammation. So you look at all the other cascading effects on the back of that one piece 
And that's been the beauty of this one ring is it's allowed me to have all these other interesting conversations with the players. And they're incredibly engaged around this as well. I come every morning to me and say, let's look at my sleep. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Oh, look at my heart rate. Everybody is much better today. Or yes, yeah, because I slept better. I got more deep sleep. Uh, yes, I had you know much better dreams last night. So REM, you know, all these conversations they're now having, which is incredible for a cricketer. Like you said, 2008, let's go back and look at what we did back then and how we viewed cricket and cricketers. The fact that I'm even calling them athletes these days shows how we've changed. You know, so, so, and then they're wanting to know how they can change. And that's been the, the key piece is they're now asking, right. how can I change? How can I improve? How can I get better? That's, that's the big piece for me. So John, uh, you know, this might uh, sound hypothetical, but, you know, based on what you've been saying so far, there's so much science involved. There's so much technology involved now in managing players you know their fitness and you know gone are the days when you know we talked about a team physio we only would talk when you know we found out if a player was injured or not and then then questions would come about as to what the physio is doing because we don't understand everything that goes behind the scenes and now that you're kind of explaining all of this is it's just so much is you know happening so much is going on behind the scenes now the hypothetical part comes where i'm thinking how much of this in cricket specifically is brought about by uh franchise t20 cricket right so for example in all the examples that we we can talk about like you know be the nba or the english <laughs> premier league uh, these are where the team owners they have stakes in the players mm -hmm. so they want to invest in these players now let's let's say hypothetically t20s or franchise cricket did not exist right it's just international cricket do you think the evolution of you know the fitness training and all the technological uh, advances would still be happening if there was internet if there was only international cricket and no franchise cricket because my my opinion is that there would not have been as much stake in the players as current mm -hmm. t20 teams do so how much of that do you think is the t20 culture so to speak yeah. oh no doubt about it i think you're spot on and we talked earlier about investing in assets and, and returning investments on assets etc so absolutely i think it's accelerated that um incredibly i think it would have happened over but over a much longer time frame um because we've always looked sick in the west uh, particularly in india we've always looked uh, to the east uh, to australia um to set benchmarks uh, around other aspects of the game and new learnings in the game and fitness being one of them so i think it would have happened uh, over time, but but we've compressed that incredibly uh, due to the uh, sort of franchise uh, introduction of franchise-based sport. Um, I think having people like myself come into a system like the Indian system with external knowledge, having grown up in a country where fitness was at the fore, where technology was at the fore in 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 sport. And also this conversation between sports, as I mentioned before, is that learning from other sports. Um, I think having me come into the system, having Andrew come into the system, 
um, outside of franchise cricket, uh, started this journey. I just think the journey would have been a lot, uh, a, a, a lot longer to to have unfolded um, without franchise-based cricket. Because what the IPL introduction did was it brought with it all the international players. It brought with it all the international support staff who who then the Indian players and the Indian support staff looked at and said, okay, now I understand. Now I've been exposed. Now I'm having conversations with them around training and technology and fitness. And, you know, that, that was one of the reasons, I'm not saying it's the only reason, but certainly one of the drivers of why Virat Kohli changed, where he sat in that dressing room in Bangalore alongside the likes of A.B. de Villiers and those guys who are incredible athletes incredible cricketers and he knew that he was a very gifted cricketer but he was a chubby kid and he was the first to admit it back in 2014 you know sort of that sort of time 13 14 and he sat in that dressing room and looked around and said but i'm as good as these guys why am i not as good as them on the field and performance wise right why am i not as consistent as them and they said to him i said because you need to get fitter and sure enough it's more it's you know it's no coincidence that the, the fitter he got the better he got in terms of his, his performance on the field his durability his resilience his, his um, endurance all those sorts of things that allowed him to play a longer game concentrate for longer all those sorts of things unfolded so yeah so it's it's, uh, it's been accelerated absolutely by the introduction because the, with with the introduction of IPL and franchise came the introduction of knowledge and knowledge right. sharing you know when you're sitting in these dressing rooms the knowledge that's shared is unbelievable you know, and I'm learning all the time. Every time I go into a new dressing room with a new bunch of players, I'm learning. I'm learning from, you know, different physicians around the world that come into these environments. So it's, it's and I think if there's one thing that, that or the one mantra that the IPL hangs its hat on, it, it is learning um, right. and continuing to learn. And, and, and ultimately the sport is going to benefit because of that. But you raised an interesting point before about where you said, you know, there's so much science, there's so much data. There is one downside to that, is that sometimes we forget that there's an individual attached to the end of that data. There's a human being with emotions and, right. and, 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 and a family and, you know, stresses and everything. We mustn't look or forget that. And I think sometimes with all this data, we do do that. We forget to have that conversation with that player about them. Mm -hmm. um, forget the data, forget all the numbers, forget the, everything we've just talked about and just sit and have a conversation with them as, as a person. And that's very easy to do. It's, it, it's very easy to forget to do that in the modern sporting elite, high pressure, high numbers, high commercial uh, world of sport um, and they're just like you and me at the end of the day they have the same problems they have the same emotions they have the same ups and downs um, and they're the intangible things that sometimes we need to be more aware of we can't put a number on them some those sorts of things sometimes we can't collect data on that sometimes right and so having people in positions you know particular team physios and people like that to to sometimes just be aware of that and have those conversations can be just as valuable as any piece of data that you're ever going to get from a uh, from a, from a you know technique a wearable device or something. So keeping that in mind is critical, um, and 
they're often the things that that elevate a player beyond anything you know and, and go back and look at the Tom Brady story I mean Tom Brady was selected 199th out of the draft of 200 when he was first drafted because they only drafted him on numbers they didn't draft him on all the other stuff that that makes them a special individual right you know what I mean being a team man emotions the ability to act under pressure the you know the um game awareness game sense uh, sensitivity uh being aware of individuals around you all those sorts of little things we don't have necessarily can get numbers for so wouldn't it have been a shame if he you know was was wasn't selected and was never allowed to bring those <laughs> other pieces which complemented his numbers yes but what made him a greater player was not because of his ability to sprint the 20 meters faster than someone else or you know throw the ball more accurately than someone else it's actually all the other pieces that combined that made him the greatest player right. in the world in that sport. I mean that's the piece we need to be aware of right i mean i mean tom brady's a machine i, I don't even know if we can compare him to other other players or other athletes at times yeah. but but not just because of the what i'm saying is not just because of the physical parameters right. we measure them on it's the other stuff that has made him more durable more resilient more emotional more aware more sensitive more you know all the other pieces that you desperately need to become the best in the world okay that, that they are the critical pieces trust and, me. and that's a good thousands of athletes over the years not just right. cricket i'm talking all sports i've worked with rugby i've worked with olympians i've worked with you know formula 1 drivers to you know so you know so over the years i think that's the critical piece that that, that data doesn't really capture and, and that's a good point because you know right now in because of the ongoing uh, t20 world cup you know one of the things that we are trying to grapple with is where do you draw the line on fitness when it comes to you know featuring a player in team plans so for example you know Sunil Narain is missing out on yeah. the world cup um and the reason or the explanation given was you know it's not fit enough and then we still have similar questions on Varun Chakravarti for India yep. Sharjil Khan in Pakistan's case So yep. what are your thoughts on that you know how because you kind of talked about that you know it's a whole package um but how do we kind of reconcile all of that Well first of all I think the difference is is that we're actually having this conversation around it and the fact that it's that it's being considered right. that players aren't being considered uh, are not being considered because of fitness and you need to bring the complete package to the table I think there's going to be So still in cricket there's going to be uh circumstances where their technical expertise and what they bring on that front will eclipse perhaps a, de- a deficit in another area being fitness i still think there's a that's going to play out in this game for a bit longer and we're seeing it play out um with some individuals who are being selected um who perhaps aren't the fittest but you know there's there's fitness and there's and there's and there's discipline around fitness. So not everybody is going to be an athlete and a brilliant athlete, okay? It helps right. if you are. But that's some people are just not made that way. You know, the Rahul Dravids of the world, the the Anil Kumbhles of the world, the greatest players in the world, some of that I've worked with were not the best athletes. But what we need to see 
is the effort and determination that goes into improving that and attempting to change that. That's what I ask and that's what I want to see because ultimately that will play out at some level on the, on, to their advantage on the, on, the, on the field in terms of being able to perform for longer, being more resilient, don't get injured, concentrate for longer, all those sorts of things, if you put the effort in. So all I wanted to see from those guys when we were doing our fitness testing was that I knew they were never going to get 18, 19 on the, on the, you know, on the bleep test and you know, incredible numbers there. But all I wanted to see was that every time they did that test that there was an improvement. Because that's all you could ask from people who are not necessarily born athletes or had the luxury of coming through a system that bred them as athletes. So the modern player has, has probably less of an excuse, if you want to put it that way, because they haven't been exposed to a system that's demanded it. Over the last 10 years, India's built the system in place through the associations, through the NCA, through all the other you know, uh, pathways that they have, development pathways here, that they're tackled on the fitness side of it and the nutrition side and the, and the training side at a much earlier age more so than perhaps that generation had the opportunity to do so. So asking them to change at a later age is, is, is much more difficult. We can ask these kids to put in a lot more effort and, 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 and change at an earlier age now because the system in, is in place to do so. But still, not everybody is born a supreme athlete, but right. it's the effort and the discipline that goes into attempting to become that is what we ask of them. If they don't attempt it and their numbers consistently don't show that, then you need to ask the question around selection. So I don't know the ins and outs of the Indian team selection, but if Rahul Chakravati or whoever it may be is consistently improving his numbers every time they test him, then that's all you can ask. And, and um, that's all that I ask of my players is that, because in order to improve on a bleep test, trust me, I know, you have to train for it. Right. Okay, you've got to be doing the hard work, particularly if it's not something you're really good at. In order to continue to improve on it, I know that you have to be out there training to do it, and that takes discipline. And that's what we ask for. You know, you guys probably don't know that. You know, the the fellow that actually, do you know the fellow who invented the the yo-yo test and the bleep test? Do you know who he was? No. The guy called Jens Bangsbo, who's actually a footballer. So Jens Bangsbo, Jens Bangsbo is probably the world's best exercise physiologist, but he was also played for Denmark. He also was the assistant manager at Juventus. He also was the coach of the Denmark national team, but he was also the world's best exercise physiologist. And he developed that yo-yo test to test footballers and their capability, their, their, their uh, cardiovascular capability. And, um, and why do we use that? Well, the question's been asked, why do we use the yo-yo test in cricket? Mm-hmm. And is it, does it have a place in cricket? Well, remember I said to you before about the numbers that we're now seeing on the back of our GPS being quite similar to football? Well, right. actually, the yo-yo test probably does have a place to play in testing fitness in T20 athletes, T20 cricketers. Perhaps not so much for the longer forms of the game, uh, 50 over and because the energy system is very different. But for this form of the game, maybe uh, we need to go back and look at Jens Bangsbo and some of his training techniques that go into uh, the yo-yo test, like high-intensity inter- high intermittent training techniques that go into uh, developing athletes for the yo-yo test and developing footballers. Um, so again, this is this whole thing about looking at other sports to improve our sport. Well, 
the yo-yo test has been one of those uh, one of those things you know you, you said it we've we've come a long way you know these days we have these debates over you know if the yo-yo test should be used you know, when it comes mm. to you know player selections yeah. but i remember a time when we were lucky to have players who would you know run all over uh, all around the field and you know be quick runners those were things that yeah. uh, at least as indian fans you know we would envy other teams <laughs> like the australians and the south africans so just the vast improvement and you know the change in mindset the change in that culture of training and i think the 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 example set by virat kohli cannot be under you know uh, yeah understated it, it it is immense because yeah. a lot of players at least in India, look up to players like the Virat Kohli's, the Dhoni's, and the mm. Tendulkar's. So yeah. for someone of his stature to say, you know, I can be a lot better than what I am right now. And I think yeah. he's influenced a generation of Indian cricketers. So I'm happy. Oh, completely. Uh, and beyond cricket, the beauty is right. he's influenced a generation beyond, it's beyond cricket. And that's my right. point before, is how do we use this wonderful vehicle that we have of cricket to start the conversation of health and wellness and fitness outside of cricket as well. Correct. So, you know, 15 years ago, if you were walking down Marine Drive, you might bump into one person in the afternoon, in the evening. You walk down Marine Drive this evening and you'll, walk in, you'll bump into a thousand people all running up and down. Moving, you know, people are starting to move this right. country. People are appreciating that, that exercise and health and fitness and wellness um is important and i'm sure by them watching the tv and seeing guys like virat kohli's of the world and you know earlier the suresh rainers and all these guys had a small part to play in that playing out in in, in everyday life and in, in the general population here in india so you know i think we've got some of these individuals and 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 these teams to thank for that right you know, on that note, we're going to wrap up our conversation. But John, we really appreciate your time and kind of just walking us through all of the things that go behind uh, behind the scenes. You know, like I said earlier, we don't, as regular fans, always know, you know, um, how things you know work. And so, we really appreciate your knowledge and uh, for sharing that with us. My pleasure. And look, guys, we really just scratched the surface, as you know, but. I know. <laughs> you know, in order to dig a hole, you've got to scratch the surface at some point. So hopefully you guys can keep digging and uh, look, you know, thanks so much for the opportunity and you're doing an amazing job. Um, yeah, keep it up. Thank you. Thank you, John. Pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. Thanks again to John for joining us and sharing with us all the insights that regular cricket fans like us may not normally understand or appreciate. Please do check out our show notes for links to the articles we referenced in our conversation with John. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this conversation, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds and tell your friends. Thank you for listening and from all of us here at The Last Wicked, stay safe and stay healthy.